0: God, we praise you and we thank you that you are the sovereign king of kings. God, we do praise you that nothing catches you off guard, nothing slips past your gaze. So Lord, we pray, Lord, that whatever happens as it relates to your will this week in this country, God, that you would give us a posture to trust in you and to not fear. Lord, we do pray that whoever comes into the office, Lord, that you would give him wisdom, humility, and Lord, that you give him discernment. God, would you pray for this passage that you would give us eyes through your spirit to see the truth and to be able to apply it. We pray for the praise of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. We are often encouraged to pay attention to warning labels on different consumer products. We are told that they are, of course, for our safety. And yet sometimes um, they can be helpful, and yet other times they can be utterly Worthless, but a great source of laughter. Let me give you just a couple of examples of real warning labels on real consumer products. First one here is Nidol, which is a sleeping pill. It says, Warning, caution, this may cause drowsiness. Okay, just in case you didn't know that, it's just a caution for you before you take a sleeping pill. Another one here is a blowtorch. It says, Warning, caution, contents may catch fire. Okay, so if you're looking for a blowtorch and you're trying to run the risk, is this going to catch fire or not? There's a warning for you that might be helpful. Here's another one, an iron. It says, warning, never iron clothes while they are being worn. Okay, it's a real warning label, surely because maybe someone tried that. Maybe they're trying to be efficient with those things, but it's a true warning. And then on a carton of eggs, it says, warning, this product may contain eggs, (laughs) right? Just some obvious things, basically worthless, but a great source of laughter. Now, no doubt some of these warning labels are meant to guard against lawsuits, right? But warning labels as a whole are intended to caution the consumer so that they are aware of something that if ignored could lead to potential danger. 1 Corinthians is a divinely inspired warning label to a foolish church. It is a divinely inspired warning label. This church at Corinth that Paul is writing to had drifted away from the centrality of the cross of Christ. They were enticed by worldly wisdom and they were in need of several warnings that we're gonna see throughout this book. And this passage here this morning is a warning to us today. Now, warning about what exactly? Well, this is a warning pertaining to wisdom. In fact, the word wisdom here shows up, just for some perspective here, shows up 19 different times in Paul's writings. Now, Paul has written the the majority of the New Testament but 16 of the 19 occurrences actually shows up in these first four chapters in 1 Corinthians. Clearly, one of the problems here, maybe one of the biggest problems at the church in Corinth was related to wisdom. They failed to exercise the divine wisdom from God and were falling prey to the wisdom of this world. So this warning that we're gonna look at throughout this passage is this, it's to avoid worldly wisdom by understanding the difference between divine wisdom and worldly wisdom. that if this passage came with a warning label, I think it would read something like this. Warning, caution, divine wisdom is drastically opposed to the wisdom of this world. Okay, warning, caution, divine wisdom has a completely different goal than the wisdom of this world. Okay, caution, warning, divine wisdom must be defined by the cross and revealed by the spirit. Look, church, this is a warning, unlike many other warning labels, that we must heed because if we do not, it will lead to dangerous results. So from this divine warning, what can we learn about the wisdom of God? Three things from this passage. Number one, divine wisdom has a divine origin. Now, since we'll be talking a lot about wisdom today, I just want us to be on the same page as far as uh, what we mean by wisdom. Here's uh, maybe a helpful uh, definition for us today. That wisdom is the appropriate application of knowledge that discerns when and how to choose what is best. That wisdom is the appropriate application of knowledge that discerns when and how to choose what is best. In other words, I know a lot of people who are smart, who have a high IQ, but aren't very wise. I know a lot of people who are old, who have a lot of years of experience, but are not very wise. Biblical wisdom is defined differently than worldly wisdom. In fact, in this passage, Paul is uh, using some of these concepts that the Corinthians greatly valued, such as wisdom or uh, maturity or uh, spiritual These are words that they love to use, but what we're going to see here is that Paul uses them, but flips them upside down and redefines them according to the cross of Christ. Look at verse six with me. We see this word mature. As Paul states, the one who is mature is the one who has been imparted with wisdom. Now this might be different than how maybe the world defines maturity, maybe even how some of us define maturity. Sometimes I hear people talk about, oh, that person is so mature, they're well put together, or they're well spoken, or they have a very, um, you know, seasoned um, demeanor about them, right? And yet Paul here is not using mature or maturity in that way. Paul is talking about maturity as the person who lives wisely by making decisions with the mind of Christ, as verse 16 tells us. That to be mature is to grow in Christ-likeness, which I think is evidenced by making wise decisions, right? It doesn't have to do with age or years of experience, but Christ-likeness. Now, notice the way that Paul describes divine, divine wisdom. He begins by explaining what it's not, He says that divine wisdom is not of this world or the rulers of this world, which will not last. That's not divine wisdom. Divine wisdom finds its origin in God. Look at verse seven. It says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. Okay, in other words, divine wisdom is rooted in the eternal purposes of God which means when you are living with the wisdom from God, that means that you are making decisions in light of eternity. You're making decisions knowing that the decisions you make today, they have eternal consequences, which means you need a wisdom that's rooted in an eternal God. Love the way that J.I. Packer talks about wisdom. He says that wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it, that wisdom is in fact the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God, that God alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. Now, why is this important? This is important because one of the dangers that comes with worldly wisdom is its trajectory. That worldly wisdom just doesn't see far out enough. Worldly wisdom makes decisions based on the fact that either this life is all that there is, or this life matters way more than the life to come. And so worldly wisdom has a different value system, different priorities than wisdom from God. The value system of of the worldly wisdom in which we live in values, how can I advance myself? How can I experience satisfaction? How can I squeeze every ounce of satisfaction from this world, from this life? Because really, this is all that there is. Worldly wisdom doesn't see far out Enough, because it's not rooted in the eternal God. That's a danger we need to be careful of so it doesn't creep into our lives, into our church, where we start to make decisions based on this life only. Now, another way that Paul shows the divine origin of God's wisdom in verse seven is by describing it as a secret, or some translation has a mystery, that it was hidden, but now has been Revealed. But this word secret or or mystery does not mean a, a puzzle that we find difficult to solve. This isn't like a mystery like Sherlock Holmes, that if I can just put all the pieces together, I'm gonna to figure out this puzzle. No, what Paul is is doing here with this word mystery or secret is he's saying it's actually impossible for you to figure out. It's actually impossible for you to know unless God reveals it to you, unless God helps you understand it. Now this secret and hidden wisdom of God that Paul is specifically talking about here is the gospel, which was decreed or foreordained. This stresses, I think the plan of God, the sovereignty of God. And if you notice in verse seven, he says that it's actually for our glory. It's actually for our good. It's for our benefits. And so before time began, God, in his eternal and infinite wisdom, was concerned about your well being, about your future destiny, that he planned the gospel to save sinners. He gets to verse 8 and he says the natural person just doesn't understand this. In fact, they didn't understand this, and it actually led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory but then he gets to verse nine and Paul here is quoting or referring to most likely from Isaiah chapter 64, verse four. And what Paul says here is that God has something so extraordinary, something that he's planned for the person that loves him that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could even imagine how incredible this thing that God has planned for those who love God, that what has God prepared? God in his eternal, infinite wisdom has planned a way for your sins to be forgiven. That God in his wisdom has this plan that is centered upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that 2000 years ago, God sends Jesus who is sinless, who is eternal into this world, Jesus lives a perfect life, sinless life. He endures temptations, he endures suffering, and he eventually gets up on a cross, which was reserved for criminals, even though he was innocent, and he dies a death in the place of sinners. That's God's eternal wisdom. And it's so amazing that that Jesus dies this death that actually leads to the death of death, Because three days later, he raises to new life, showing his victory over death, over Satan, over sin. And catch this, he offers complete forgiveness, everlasting joy, and eternal hope for those who believe in him. Look, Christian, this morning, you need to be reminded that the gospel of Jesus Christ is rooted in the eternal wisdom of God. And if you're here today, you're listening online and you're not a Christian, we would encourage you and actually call you to believe in Jesus so that your sins may be forgiven today. Look, the the best part I think about this plan, this, this thing that God has prepared for those who love him is that this offer of salvation is not for the righteous. It's not for those who are the most cleaned up spiritually. It's not for, for the person that you look at and think, oh, that person would be a great addition to God's team. No, no, that would actually be rooted in the wisdom of this world. But one thing that I love about God's plan of salvation is that it's for sinners who know that they're sinners. It's for the person who, who all they bring before God is their neediness, They come before them and say, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I can't earn this. I can't work for salvation. Your your standard is perfection and I'm far from perfect. That's who salvation is for. That in God's eternal wisdom, he has planned a way for you to be forgiven and saved. In my natural wisdom, if I were God, I would not have come up with a plan like that to save sinners. I would not plan to send my only son to die for my enemies, but only God did. It's because divine wisdom finds its origin in God and praise be to him. Secondly, though, another thing that we learn about divine wisdom is that it's revealed by the Spirit. You'll notice here in verses 10 through 16, Paul begins to transition to explain the means by which we can know God, the means by which we can know his truth and the gospel. This is namely through the work of the Spirit. In fact, you'll see here that Paul references the Spirit six different times in this passage alone. He's laying out before us an understanding of the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, that in summary, the Spirit's role is to take the infinite, transcendent, and otherwise inexpressible mystery of God and to make it not just understandable to us, but to make it understandable in a way that transforms us. Right? That's what the Spirit does with the spiritual things and the deep things of God. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says that the Spirit is the one that reveals the deep things of of God because the Spirit is the one that searches all things. Now, this does not mean that the Spirit conducts this search in order to obtain information, but Paul's using this word to refer to the Spirit who penetrates all things, that he penetrates the deep things of God. And he, what he does with that is then he reveals it to those who have the Spirit of God within them, which means for us, we need to own the fact that it is impossible to know God, to know the truth in his word without the spirit of God. Okay, now I know that we know that intellectually this morning. I know that that's almost like basic Christianity 101, that you need God in order to understand God. But I think far too often when we make decisions, when we think about pursuing God and reading the Bible, we fail to correctly feel the weight of our need of the spirit of God to reveal who God is by giving us wisdom. So part of the way that I've been praying for us and this passage is for us to feel the weight of our need of the spirit of God to reveal wisdom to us. Okay, now I wanna do that by reading a couple of passages here. The first one is from Romans uh, chapter 11. Think about how massive and how big God is. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Or how about Isaiah chapter 55? It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How about Psalm 147? It says that he, God, determines the number of the stars that he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Or Jeremiah chapter 55 says, He, God, made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Look, church, do you feel your need for the spirit of God in order to know who God actually is, how massive, how big, how vast the God of the Bible really is. Currently, the Library of Congress houses close to 39 million books, 39 million books. And American publishers are every year just adding to this stack And so they're actually projecting over the next couple of decades that we'll have over 50 million books in the Library of Congress. Now, if you are an ambitious reader, you might be able to read 2,500 books in your lifetime, maybe. And so what that means is for every one book that you read, you have to say no to tens of thousands of other books simply because you don't have the time or the capacity the point is, is that you and I, we are limited in our knowledge. We are limited in our capacity and our ability just to know things, which means we are in need of someone who is stronger, someone who is wiser in order to reveal the deep things of God. And yet the warning here from this passage is that worldly wisdom just simply doesn't agree with that. But the message from the culture around us would say that if you just work hard enough, if you're smart enough, if you have a little bit of luck, you can know or accomplish anything. And that mentality that we hear each and every day living in this culture is exactly what happened in this church in Corinth. That was the message of the culture surrounding this church. And that message and that mentality was creeping in to the church at Corinth. And as a result, they were being lured away by worldly wisdom. And the warning for us is that what happened in Corinth is exactly what can happen to us today unless we heed this warning. That in our pride, we can look not to God, not to the spirit of God who reveals the things of God, but we can look to only our own selves. Look, I think we love memorizing and we love quoting Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your hearts, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him or submit to him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. It's an awesome passage, great verses to memorize. But what about verse seven? Verse seven is really important because verse seven says, do not be wise only in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. See, that's the challenge for us is, is to not be wise only in our own eyes. And the challenge here is that we can know intellectually the vastness and the bigness of God. But do you know that to the degree that you are depending upon the spirit to know the things of God, to influence the decisions that you make? See, the question that you have to ask yourself, the question that I have to ask myself, is "Am am I wise only in my own eyes? Am I leaning only on my own understanding? Am I trusting only in my own ability? Or am I throwing myself upon the spirit of God to reveal wisdom from above? Like I I wanna press in a little bit on that. I just want you to think about the decisions that you've made just only in 2020, maybe just some of the big decisions that you've made and ask yourself the question, did you lean upon God and his wisdom in making those decisions or did you lean on yourself? Those financial decisions that you made this year, the the job decisions that you had to make this year, the the school options and the decisions that you made this year, the political decisions and the the COVID related decisions and, and, and the social decisions, it goes on and on. Did you lean upon your own understanding or upon the spirit of God? And look, those are just some of the big decisions but the reality is is that you and I make thousands of smaller decisions each and every day. So what about those? What about the decision to, to spend time with God? What about the decision to put your phone down and to be fully present with your family or friends? What about the decision when you walk by a sink that's full of dirty dishes to actually clean them instead of to pretend that you didn't see them, right? What about the decision to respond with kindness, to a harsh word. See, we need the Spirit of God to reveal wisdom and the deep things of God. Thirdly here, and the last thing that I'll point out about divine wisdom, as we think about how it's different than worldly wisdom, is that God's wisdom does lead us somewhere. It's not a destination, but it leads us to illumination. Verse 12, Paul very clearly says, we don't have the spirit of this world, we have the spirit of God. But notice where that takes us. Verses 12 through 13 and even 14 through 16 explain what it means to have the spirit of God, what it means when he's revealing the things of God. It's going to lead to illumination, to discernment, and to understanding. I think verses 12 and 13, Paul is, I think, attempting to describe this divine and mysterious dialogue That takes place between your heart, God's truth, and the work of the Spirit. And you get to the end of verse 12, and Paul says that the wisdom through the Spirit helps us to understand spiritual things from God. Verse 13, the Spirit helps us to interpret spiritual things. And then he says, look, verse 14, it's clear that the natural man just doesn't understand the things of God, doesn't have the capacity, the tools, the resources to discern spiritual things, but the spiritual man does. In fact, verse 15, he says that the spiritual person or the mature person, the one with the spirit of God is able to judge, or this is the same word as discern, judge or discern all things, this Greek word means to investigate or to examine, to, to scrutinize. Paul's point here, and, and don't overlook this as something that's, that's elementary. Paul is saying that through the spirit of God, you are able to take the word of God or, or the word of God that's being preached, and you are able to understand it, to discern it, to investigate it in a way that leads to transformation in your life that without the Spirit, you are unable to do that. I think what Paul is telling us here is that the Spirit is a game changer. It changes everything. I think the Spirit of God is the key difference between having these two different experiences. When, experience number one is when you open up the Bible or you hear it preached and you're unmoved by it compared to the experience of opening up the Bible or hearing it preached and being pierced with it in a way that leads you to applying and doing what it says. That's the spirit of God within you, that he's enlightening you. He's illuminating God's truth and he's giving you the ability to discern the word of God. Look, we need him in our ability to pursue God and to live out our calling in this world. I love Ephesians 1 verses 17 and 18, talks about the, the role of the spirit. This is Paul's prayer. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having catches, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you have been called. That's what the Spirit of God is doing when you depend upon Him. Do not bypass His role in your growth as a follower of Jesus. This wisdom that we have from God is distinctly different than the wisdom from this world. I know we've been talking a lot about what wisdom is. I want to close this morning with some application about some practical ways to actually get wisdom in your life. Just a couple of things here. Number one to get wisdom into your life or the path to wisdom is to, number one, prize it, prize it. I love Proverbs 4, 7, and 8. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her, talking about wisdom, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Look, Step one is to desire wisdom, to yearn for it, by understanding what your life would be like without the wisdom of God. Like I think some are not living with wisdom because they're content with just their own understanding and failing to see their own need for God's wisdom. Secondly here, another way to get wisdom is to pray for it, pray for it. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him as we've seen only God can give wisdom because it finds its origin in God. And so we get wisdom in our life by coming to him and asking and praying for it. One of my mentors in high school told me, he says, you need to start praying a prayer that will change your life. And I've been trying to pray this prayer since I was 17 years old. And it's a prayer that says this, God, make me wise beyond my years. Make me wise beyond beyond my ears. I just want to challenge you, no matter how old you are in this room, you need to be praying that prayer. Because remember, wisdom is not about how old you are. It's about living wisely and choosing the right decisions according to the mind of Christ. And I love this passage in James because it says that God gives it generously. I I tend to overlook that part of it. I think, okay, if I lack it, I need to ask for it. But he says, God wants to give it to you. He's generous with it. He's not stingy with it. He wants to make you wise if you come and ask him for it. Thirdly, another way to to get wisdom is to pursue it. We pursue wisdom by first pursuing God. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the more intimate you know God, the wiser you will become this is also a challenge, though. I think this is a challenge to make sure that we don't desire wisdom more than we desire God. Right? We don't want to idolize the gifts of God above the giver, but as we pursue God, He's going to make us wiser. And the wiser that we are, the more that we're going to pursue God. And we're on this cycle of growth within Him. We'd also pursue it by pursuing godly and wise friends and mentors. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Right? You probably have heard it said before that you actually become the five closest people in your life. You think about the five people that you spend the most time with, that you talk with, you eventually think like them and act like them. So the challenge here is to have godly friends that you allow to shape you, to speak into the decisions that you make, to actually allow them to speak into the trajectory of your life, to have those people, whether it's a mentor or a godly friend, to actually have full access to your life and to say, look, look at my relationships, look at my parenting, look at my marriage, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, who I am on social media, and ask them, am I being wise in those areas and allow them to speak into your life. And you can pursue wisdom by pursuing, of course, God's word. Second Timothy 3.15 says, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings referring to God's word, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Simply put, the more Bible that you have in your heart and your mind, the wiser that you will be as it shapes you. And then finally, the last thing here is to practice wisdom. As God gives it to you, put it into practice and live it out in your life. I think one of the fruits of wisdom is exactly what we see in James chapter three. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Look, that's a great target, I think, as you're thinking about, am I being wise by looking at the fruits listed there and seeing if that matches with how you live your life. Look, church, let's heed this divinely inspired warning to avoid the wisdom of this world and to pursue divine wisdom from God. I want to give us a chance just to maybe put into practice this message today. just give you 60 seconds, just right where you are, just to ask God for wisdom today, and I know maybe some of us, maybe all of us, are in the midst of maybe making a significant decision. Maybe if if you haven't voted yet, it might be a great chance to ask God to give you wisdom for that, or maybe you're uh, in a relationship or a job thing or whatever it is. Just take this moment right now and ask the Lord for wisdom. Maybe even confess sin that you've been relying on your own understanding, and just to seek the Lord right now, and then I'll close this in prayer. God, we thank you and we praise you for passages like this in 1 Corinthians that serve as a warning to us. We thank you that that is out of love from you, Lord, to help us to see the danger of trying to live life without you. God, I thank you that you are a generous and a loving God, that you delight in us approaching you and asking for wisdom. And God, Lord, our motive is that we wanna look more and more like Jesus so that you receive glory, not ourselves. So Lord, I pray that you would give us humility today, that you would give us a sense of our our neediness and our dependence upon you. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to lean not on our own understanding, but upon yours. God, that you would make us wise beyond our years, that we might be a, a church that provides hope to a watching world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.